So May of this year, I've been at New Spring for nine years. Those of you who've been here as long as uh, when I came, then you probably think it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but it actually has uh, been nine fabulous years. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Um, But it wasn't too long after I came on staff, maybe actually probably not more than a few weeks, that Dan Kubish came and knocked on my door. If you know Dan, you know that um, he's been over family ministry here for a long time, over missions, and now he's over a lot of other things. He's probably one of the most... Uh, one of the most successful managers I've ever met in my entire life. He's, he's one of those people that takes what God gives him and, uh, and, and sees the increase. Um, but at the time, uh, Dan was doing what he's doing every year in October, which is right in the thick of Judgment House. If you know Dan, you know Dan is, uh, you know, so much of his life is devoted to those two weeks that happen here in October at New Spring. And, uh, but because I'd been away from home for so long, i I'd been to one judgment house, the very first one, uh, and a lot of water had gone under the bridge since then, and, and I honestly, um, I, I, didn't get a very, I didn't get a very full impression of judgment house when I went, because I, I kind of got to see part of it, but not all of it, and uh, so I didn't have much idea w- what the whole thing was about, and Dan came in and he said, I'd like to ask you to be involved in judgment house. I said, Dan, I'll be happy to do whatever, whatever you want uh, me to do, and he said, well, I want you to do the invitation room. And I said, well, that's great, but I don't know what that is. Um, and, and he said, well, here's what's going to happen. The people take the tour, and every 10 minutes, another group of you know, 30 or 40 people are going to come in the room, and you're going to present the gospel. And I said, hold up. I get to present the gospel every 10 minutes to a new group of people? He said, yeah. I said, you realize this is every pastor's dream. Like, when I talk to other pastors from around the country, and they say, well, I don't know about doing Judgment House, I'm like, do you not get every 10 minutes you get to present the, when does this ever happen, you know? I've never been so excited in October since somebody explained to me for the first time what Halloween candy was. I'm like, people are just giving out candy for free, you know? Now Dan's telling me that every 10 minutes I get to, I get to present the gospel to a new girl. I was so excited. And Dan is in this room. He, he was in and out of the invitation room that year, and I was not prepared for what I was going to watch God do that year. Not prepared. Nowhere close. I, I bawled like a baby a couple of the nights after, after Judgment House, because I just had never experienced anything like that in my life. Nobody could have told me how to prepare for that. But you know the other thing nobody kind of mentioned to me ahead of time? I was never going to fight battles with Satan like I was going to fight in those two weeks. I've done now, this will be my ninth judgment house. And I'll tell you right now, I don't know what he's going to hit me with in the next couple of weeks, but it's coming. I don't know what it is, but it's coming. Listen, what you just heard on that video, that does not happen without Satan painting a big, gigantic red target on it. Let me ask you something. Who else is going to be involved in judgment house this year? Put your hands up. I want to see your hands. Keep them up for a second. Every single person who has their hand raised has a target on them. Now, they're going to accomplish amazing things for Jesus Christ, but they have a target on them. And if you didn't raise your hand, if you're a new springer, well, you're part of us. I'm sorry. But you have a target on you as well. Because Satan is not going to put up easily with what is going to happen on this campus the last two weeks of October. He won't deal with it well, right? So, I didn't know I was going to do First Wednesday a long time ago. Um, my dad approached me fairly recently about it, and I had been doing my own preparation in my heart. First year ever that I had determined I was going to prepare for this. Satan fights me every year. I'm going to prepare 
for this. And I'd been working through this on my own. And when my dad asked me if I would speak, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to bring you what I've been working through. It's not a typical Jonathan talk. I don't have a lot of illustrations or stories. I just want to walk through what God has been doing in my heart to help prepare me for an amazing harvest that also is an amazing time of pushback from Satan. Hopefully that'll be helpful for you, especially for those of you who are involved in Judgment House. You really need to have all antenna up because I'm going to take you to one particular place in the Bible where God prepares us to do battle. How many of you in the military, you went to boot camp? You know what I'm talking about. You went to boot camp and they prepared you to do battle. Whether or not you ever saw action, you were prepared at boot camp to do battle. Well, this is boot camp for the Christian in Ephesians chapter six. This is where God teaches us how to get ready to do battle with Satan. Are you ready? We're gonna just talk, I'm gonna read this passage through and then we're gonna go back and we're gonna break it down a piece at a time. Ephesians six, chapter four, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter six, verse 14. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the Bible tells us in another place, in James, the Bible tells us if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. He'll run away from us. Now that is good news for somebody who knows Satan's coming after, he's going to come after you in the next few weeks. Now he can't take your eternity. He can't mess with your relationship with God, but he can make your life kind of miserable. So if you know Satan's coming after you in the next few weeks, you do know the Bible says if you resist the devil, he will flee from you, but we've got to get specific about what it means to resist the devil. What does it mean to resist the devil? Right? I grew up singing the song in Sunday school. I've got the joy, 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 joy. And if the devil doesn't like it, he, do you remember? He can sit on attack, right? That doesn't do much. I'm sorry, but it doesn't do much, right? In terms of resisting the devil. We gotta get a little more practical, I think, um, than that. So, and by the way, the Bible says, and many of you remember an old translation that said the fiery darts of the, of the evil one. The, 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 the faith, the shield of faith pr- protects us from the fiery darts of the evil one. Which is interesting to me. I, I went to a, a youth camp some years ago, uh, more years than I'd prefer to admit. I went to youth camp, high school youth camp, and it was a week-long thing. And uh, we had a lot of activities there. It was out in the mountains, and there were a lot of things you could do, and ropes course, and mountain climbing, canoeing, and all that. And um, they also wanted you to have some quiet time on your own. They gave you some verses to read. They want you to find a place out of this beautiful camp in the mountains. Go find a place and sit down and read the Bible and meditate on what God has got for you to, to, to really think about. And so I find this nice big tree, and I sit down, and I open up my Bible, and I'm going to read the scriptures that they have prescribed for us to read. And I hear this sound, <laughs> And I look around, can't figure out, and then I hear it again. And then all of a sudden, as I hear it, I look down, and there is a red dart sticking in the side of my shoe. And I think, uh-oh. And I start realizing there are darts everywhere around me. What had happened was somebody else thought it was a nice tree too. I thought it was a nice tree to meditate and have devotion. Somebody else thought it was a nice tree to hang their dart board up on. So there's these kids over there. They don't realize I'm on the other side and they're throwing darts. And I've learned very quickly, if darts are headed your direction, you should probably get out of there, right? But the, but Bible, the Bible doesn't say that, the, that Satan just wants to throw darts at you. The Bible says he wants to throw fiery darts at you. How's that for escalating the danger a little bit, you know? Why does the Bible say fiery darts? Sometimes... People will say that they know somebody who's going through hell on earth. They're experiencing hell on earth. And as Christians, we're very quick to correct them. No, 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 no. 
Nothing anybody goes through on earth is like hell will be. It's, there is no such thing as hell on earth. I'm going to back away from that a little bit. Because the Bible says Satan wants to throw fiery darts at Christians. See, he can never get you into hell. You're never going to hell. But he will send a little hell your direction. He'll send those fiery darts your way. He'll send that fiery dart of loss your way, or the fiery dart of, of conflict in your family your way, or he'll send the fiery dart of a financial struggle your way. He, he knows he's never going to get you into hell, so he'll just send a little hell at you. The Bible says we've got to be prepared for that. We've got to be prepared for the day of battle. So we're just going to break this down. We're going to go back to Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at what the Bible says we're supposed to do to stand up to Satan when he wants to fight us. Here's the first thing it says. It says, stand your ground. I've read this passage so many times growing up as a pastor's kid. I've heard all these sermons on the armor of God, which is this passage that we're talking about in Ephesians 6. And I, I've read this phrase so many times, stand your ground. And I've almost just ran past it all the time. Just as, you know, it's just sort of trying to add emphasis to what we're supposed to do here. And I don't think I ever read it with the right inflection. I looked at it this time and I thought, what if it means stand your ground? Your ground. So often we're careful to say, this is not my church, it's God's church. It's not my ministry, it's God's ministry. It's not my family, my family belongs to God. That's true in a sense of ownership. That's true in a sense of ownership. But we say my in two different ways. Sometimes we say my to mean I own it, it's my car. But other times when we say my, we mean in a sense of loyalty, that's my team. You don't say something about it. Some of you are Kansas City Chiefs fans. I'm sorry. I apologize for the fact that you're Kansas City Chiefs fans. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry that they've let you down. But um, I'm going to get mugged and I go to the parking lot, I know. But, <laughs> but that's the thing. I did that on purpose because there's something that rises up within your spirit that says, don't say that about my team. You don't own them, do you? you I mean, if you did, that would be pretty cool. Let me know if you've got box seats or something. But... You say it's my team because you're loyal to them. If somebody insults your kid, you understand you don't own your kid, but you say, don't say that about my kid because you're loyal to your kid. Don't say that about my spouse because you're loyal to your spouse. God's given you an assignment. Some of you are going to get a very practical sense of that when you come to your volunteer role at Judgment House. Some of you are on the WIT team, whatever it takes. You are some of the most valuable players in the Judgment House story because you've said, look, I don't care what you assign me to, I'll do whatever you need. And you're going to come here and you're going to get your assignment. And you're going to be in the kitchen. You're going to be walking a prayer route. You're going to be handing something out to someone and that will be your assignment. And it is your assignment. And you need to be ready to tell Satan, listen, this is my church. This is my moment. This is my judgment house presentation. This is my team. This is my scene. These are my people that I'm working with. And you won't take something from us that we are meant to have because it is ours. So get away from here. Part of how we resist the devil is to say it is mine and you aren't meant to have it. It's not just judgment house. Some of us need to tell God this is my marriage. You aren't meant to have it. This is my spouse. You aren't meant to have it. These are my kids, and you aren't meant to have them. This is my purpose. This is my future, and you aren't meant to have them. So don't come and threaten that you're going to take it away, because I'm not going to let it happen. Not today. 
because this is where God has called me to stand my post. And this is my time to do what God has called me to do. It is mine. Stand your ground. Not because you own the ground that you stand on, but because God has assigned you to the ground that you stand on. This is something that God said to the children of Israel. He says, look, he's placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Some of us are going to struggle with anxiety in the next couple weeks because Satan would like to scare you off of your assignment. Some of us are going to deal with depression because Satan would like to grieve you out of your assignment. But what the Bible says is go and occupy it. Say, you know what, Jonathan, I don't think I'm up to what God has called me to do. I don't think I'm good enough to do what God has called me to do. I don't think I have enough skill to do what God has called me to do. Listen, just go occupy the post and let God do it. God sends the rain. <laughs> Occupy your post and let God do it. Look, I guarantee you, Jonathan Hoover does not have what it takes to stand in front of you and talk to you tonight. I'm just occupying a post and I'm praying God will do something. So occupy your post. The Bible says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. It is time for us to say, we're done letting Satan steal what we are meant to have. And that is the thing. Satan will try to take from you what he is not entitled to have. That is his nature. That is what he does. So stand your ground. That's your first marching order. If you're going into battle with Satan as a child of God, as a soldier, remember the old song, Onward Christian Soldier? If you're a Christian soldier, your first marching order is to stand your ground. Your second marching order is to embrace truth. Look at what the scripture says. Aren't you glad you're in here and dry? <laughs> Put on the belt of truth. Embrace truth. Over the past several years, I've had a lot of exposure to the academic world. And one thing I've noticed is that we're getting really skittish about putting the word the in front of the truth. Really scared to put the article the in front of the truth. We'd rather say it's my truth or your truth right? I have my truth, you, you have your truth, they have their truth, right? Only problem is it doesn't hold up in court. There we want the truth. Can you imagine somebody getting up on the stand, I promise to tell my truth, my whole truth, nothing but my truth? We'd say, that ain't going to fly. You're supposed to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Why? Because in court we accept that there is truth, but outside it's a little, little soft these days. And the Bible says that the truth is our, our belt. Well, I wouldn't understand much about that, but I was, at, I was at the workout facility the other day, Monday I think it was. Was it Monday? Yeah. One of the workout facility Monday. As you can tell, you can tell I'm very svelte, you can tell I work out all the time, very, very athletic. I go there, and, and I'm, I'm over in sort of the weight area, you know, lifting 10 or 15 pounds. There's this guy over here <laughs> lifting, like, 300 pounds, and he's got one of these giant belts on, right? It's, and I'm thinking, that can't be a fashion statement, you know? It, it just doesn't, it doesn't look stylish, and I don't think this guy wears this anywhere else, you know? I mean, I'm thinking if he was walking around Dylan's wearing this thing, then, you know, that'd be pretty embarrassing, but he wears it to the workout. So I, I have to ask, because I have no shame. I go up to the guy, and I say, what's the belt for? And the guy says, the belt gives you stability when you have to lift a lot of weight. And he says, it adds rigidity to your spine. Well, now that will, that will preach, you know? 
Bible says that we're to put on the belt of truth. Why do I need the belt of truth? Because it gives me stability and it adds some rigidity to my spine. And you know what's interesting? The opposite seems to be true. If we don't care about the truth, all of a sudden we seem to lose our stability and we also seem to lose our backbone. Have you noticed that? God says you need to embrace the truth. Why? Because the Bible says that God is the truth. Satan, on the other hand, has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. The Bible is telling us that it's almost a geographic thing. God is where the truth is, and Satan is where the lies are. So if you live where the truth is, well, you have, you've gotten yourself pretty close to the God of the universe. But if you live where the lies are, where does that tell you you are geographically? That's why it's so important to embrace the truth, because God is where the truth is. All right, let's go deeper. All right, am I stepping on toes yet? Let's, let's, let's take it a little deeper. The next marching order is let God be right. Let God be right. This, this takes the question of truth even further because if, if you believe that in order for something to be true, it must be evident to your senses, then you're probably okay up until this point. If you have to sense something in order for it to be true, then you would say, okay, I believe that there is the truth. But once we get to the point that there are things in the Bible and things that God tell us that our senses have not yet verified, well, and God's wrong about those things. But the Bible says we need to let God be right. Look at what it says. We're back in Ephesians 6. And the body armor, put on the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, aren't you glad that it doesn't say put on the body armor of your righteousness? Listen. If all I had to save me was the body armor of Jonathan Hoover's righteousness, I would look like Swiss cheese because I've got very little righteousness. How many of us know? And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know that it does not actually matter how long you followed Christ. You understand that even if your soul points to God, there are a lot of times your behavior points away from God and you get frustrated with yourself and you get aggravated with yourself. But the truth is, the fact that you consistently recalibrate yourself to God because that is where your soul is pointed and you consistently agree with God that God is right and I am wrong and you grieve over the behavior that has cost you and cost others and you find yourself repenting even though you say, man, I'm so upset with myself that I made this bad decision, but you find yourself repenting. Do you understand that that is the Christian life, the way God has called us to live it? The main thing that God wants us to do is consistently recalibrate toward God and say, God, you are right. A life of rebellion is a life that says, God, you are wrong, and whatever I want to do is right. Body armor of God's righteousness. The Bible says, even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court. You ever watch Perry Mason? Or Matlock? You know, everybody thinks that they're not going to pull it out. You know, they're, they're the person that's going down, right? They're going to get convicted of murder. They were framed, but they're going to get convicted of murder. And then all of a sudden, here comes Perry Mason or here comes Benjamin Matlock for the defense and the next thing you know the case is proved in court and all of a sudden the person goes free here's the thing here's what I want you to know that ultimately there's going to be a day where each one of us is judged and one thing or one thing one of two things is going to happen either what we said here on earth is going to be proved to be correct or what we said here on earth is going to be proved to be incorrect I would rather be incorrect in the court of public opinion and be correct in the court when I face judgment I would rather be correct when God is my lawyer than when whomever else offers to be my lawyer is my lawyer 
So let God be right. Well, we're trucking through these marching orders. There's actually quite a bit in this passage. Let's move on to the next one. The next one is fight in peace. Well, that sounds a little oxymoronic, doesn't it? Fight in peace. Usually we say rest in peace, right? So you know, people want to you know, put on your gravestone, rest in peace. By the way, don't do that to me. If any of y'all are ordering my tombstone, uh, don't put rest in peace on there, right? I'd prefer you put party hardy or something like that than um, rest in peace. Because I don't plan on resting, right? I, I'm tired in this body. The older I get, the more tired I am. So I like to rest here. But when I get to heaven, I plan on doing zero resting. As best I read my Bible, I'm not going to have to go to sleep. And like a toddler, I'm going to tell everybody, I don't plan on doing that. I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to go meet Peter. I'm going to go meet Paul. I'm going to party. I'm going to have a blast. I'm going to ask Jesus all kinds of questions I've been meaning to ask him for a very, very long time. On this planet... There are moments where I won't rest. There are moments where I'll fight. And it's interesting that it's in those moments that God says, fight in peace. Fight in peace. What does that mean? The Bible says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Fully prepared to do what? Fully prepared to fight. You'll be fully prepared to fight if you put on the peace of the good news. Or that's just another term for the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ loves you and me so much that he came to this planet, hung on a cross to pay for everything that I've done wrong and everything that you've done wrong so that we can have a future in heaven with a God who has loved us since the very day that we were conceived. And here's what I want to tell you. That can give you peace in the most difficult time. You know why? Because it means that Satan cannot take away from you your most valuable possession. Job learned that, didn't he? I mean, he learned that Satan can take away a lot of stuff. But you know what Satan cannot take away? He cannot take away the love of God for you and the fact that God has placed his seal on you and he says, that is my kid and you can't make them not my kid. I mean, think about that. The day you came to trust in Jesus Christ, God said, that one belongs to me. They are mine and Satan can never have them. That's how we can fight in peace. And we know that the worst the world can do to us can't take away the most important thing that we have. One of the last things that this passage tells us to do is to believe God. Look at this. The Bible says, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith <clears throat> to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, what is faith? The Bible says, faith, this is the function of faith. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. My wife and I, are going on a um, ministry-related trip in a week. A week from today, we'll be going to Tennessee. Um, and we do this every few years and get training as counselors. My wife counsels ladies, and I counsel couples and men. And this is an event where we go and we'll get some training um, to sharpen our counseling skills. So it's, it's always a wonderful thing because not only is it a chance to get training, but it's a time where my wife and I celebrate the fact that we get to serve God together in the same capacity and learn more about doing that. So it's a really wonderful time. So I'd, I'd had a day that was you know, rough in a couple ways, and I walked into my wife's office today, about a little, little before lunch, and I said, hey, you know what, no matter what, the least I can remember that in a week we're going to be in Tennessee. And my wife said, well, that's the plan. She said, Lord willing, we're going to be in Tennessee. See, my wife's been a Christian a long time and she understands the scriptures. The scriptures say that you shouldn't just say, we're going to Tennessee. You should say, if the Lord is willing, we're going to Tennessee, right? You shouldn't tell God what your plans are. You make plans, but ultimately God is going to decide what happens. So she's right. She's absolutely right. We ought to say, that's what the scripture says, we ought to say, if God's willing, we're going to go to Tennessee. Because there are a lot of things that could scuttle that plan, right? One of our kids could get sick. 
or one of us could get sick, or something could happen to the event that we're going through. There could be a weather issue here, or a weather issue there. There's all kinds of things that could mess it all up. So there are a lot of things that we ought to say, if God is willing, this will happen. But there are a lot of things that we already know that God is willing, and we don't have to say, if God wills. I don't have to say, God willing, I'm going to heaven. I can just say, I'm going to heaven. I don't have to say, if God is willing, God will be with me when I'm brokenhearted because the Bible says God is with the brokenhearted. So I just say, God is with me because I'm having a broken heart right now. I don't have to say, maybe God will be with me. Maybe if God is willing, God will be with me when I go into this different, difficult meeting. I can just say, God will be with me when I go into this difficult meeting because the Bible already says that this is what God wills to happen. I'm just saying, part of being in those marching orders and going against Satan is saying, there are some things I can hold on to so strongly because I already know this is God's will. Sometimes we're, we're cautious. There's a sort of more charismatic movement of Christianity that sometimes other forms of Christianity want to make sure that we keep at arm's length. And understand that those who consider themselves charismatic, really the, the most major difference between um, them and, and maybe somebody like me would just be that maybe they have an over-dependence on signs and wonders. There's, there's not a whole lot more that's different. But, but what I would say is sometimes we're so cautious about that that we don't claim what we have, okay? Because sometimes the, the, we've gotten around people that have said, we can claim whatever we want. Now, that's wrong. I can't say I'm going to claim that God is going to um, give me X, Y, Z tomorrow, and tomorrow it shows up on my doorstep. I can't make God deliver what I want, but please understand, God will always deliver what he has promised. And some of us have not held God to his promises. Now, keep in mind, he will always meet those promises, but we didn't trust that he was going to, so we were surprised When God showed up and did something amazing, we were kind of blown out of the water. And I'm saying as Christians who are in a battle with the evil one, we need to be expecting God to keep his promises. There are some things that we just know. God has said he's going to do this, and I'm going to stand my post. I'm going to occupy the territory God has given me, and I'm going to remember that God is going to do this because he said he is. We need to remember where we've come from. We remember where we've come from. The Bible says that we are to put on salvation as our helmet. Over our head, the most vulnerable part of our body, the most valuable piece of equipment to a soldier at the time was his helmet. Our helmet is the salvation of God. Now, why is that important, and why is, why is God saying that we need to do that? Well, let's take a look in 1 Corinthians 6, where the Bible says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. There's a lot of stuff on that list that ought to feel pretty threatening for a group of Christians sitting in this room. But look at what it says. Some of you were once like that. I learned it in the old translation that said, and such were some of you. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. How? Because you got your life straight. You did everything that God, you you know, you changed all of your behaviors. You, You became a perfect person and that's how you were washed and cleansed. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it happened because you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God, you were changed from what you were to what you are and don't forget what you were because if you don't forget what you were, you won't know how to value what you are. 
See, I have to remember what I would be if God hadn't saved me. You know, it sticks with me. I stand in that room over in the auditorium over there. People come in. I'm going to present the gospel. It weighs on me. I'm such an imperfect person. I'm such a mess up in so many ways. If it were not for the blood of Jesus Christ, I don't know what. I know how bad it would be, but I just probably don't know the extent of how bad it would be. And I can get in front of people and say, look, you know what? There is nothing special about me except for the fact that within me resides the Holy Spirit of the living God. And it was the blood of the Savior, Jesus Christ, that paid for me. And so now I'm valuable, not because of who I am, but because of what is in me and what has been invested in me and the family that I am now a part of. I'm an adopted child of God. Don't ask me how to make it make sense because I wouldn't do it if I was God, but God did it for me and I'm a member of the family. I may be the black sheep of the family. I may be the troublemaker of the family, but somehow I made it in. I'm in the family. God will claim me but I haven't forgotten who I was and I won't forget where I came from. This is the last one and we'll be done. And that is when God speaks, listen. When God speaks, listen. The Bible says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Had a person in my office the other day and they said, I'm just looking for a word from God. Just looking for a word from God. So I went to my shelf and I took, the copy, took a copy of the New Living Translation of the Holy Bible, and I put it in his hands, and I said, there's several thousand here. <clears throat> Feel free to pick any one. They're all from God. Any one of them is good, but if you're looking for a word from God, I would start here. I'm not trying to be facetious, but so many of us want God to weigh in on our lives, and yet God has given this incredible foundation of his word that most of us either hold in our lap or it's on our phone or we have multiple copies at home that's sitting on the shelf collecting dust, and God wants us to remember that that's not just a book. It's God speaking to you. It's alive with wisdom and truth that comes directly from God. It is the foundational truth. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with looking for a word from the Lord. My point is we should start with what we have. I like to quote Andy Stanley, who uh, had a member of his church who said, why don't we ever get to the deep things of God, right? I always cringe a little when somebody comes to me and says that. Why don't we ever get to the deep things of God? And he said, you know, love your neighbor as yourself is about as deep as we get around here. And he's right. It's interesting. Some of the most simple statements of the Bible are the ones that we don't tend to master. And I think a lot of times we want to believe we've moved past it. The truth is, when God speaks, we need to listen. I want to read you something. Can I read you something? We'll be done. I know we're, we're a minute in overtime, but I want to read you something. It's from last year. Story from Judgment House. I asked permission to read this to you. Eleven years ago, we adopted a foster child from the state of Kansas. Our daughter had been put into foster care because her mother was living on the street and doing drugs. Judge saved our daughter's life as he put her bio mom into jail until her birth. She was supposed to prove her sobriety in order to get her daughter back as this was baby number seven taken into custody. The bio mom was unable to make the necessary changes and she relinquished her rights to the state. We picked up our baby girl in March of 2007 and the adoption was final in August of 2007. For the past 11 years, I've been praying that our daughter's bio mom would someday accept Jesus into her heart so that someday our daughter and her bio mom could meet in heaven. Our daughter's bio mom and I have traded pictures with each other through the social worker, so I know what she looks like and she knows what her bio daughter looks like. 
but our daughter has never seen these pictures. In October of 2018, our daughter had volunteered to work the judgment scene, and I was going to be an encourager in the wire. Since our daughter hadn't taken the tour yet and really wanted to go, we showed up an hour early to walk through it. Things were really busy, and while we were sitting and waiting to go through, I saw a woman who looked exactly like our daughter's bio mom. I realized that we weren't going to have time to go through the tour before we needed to be in our places volunteering, and I also needed some time to pull myself together. At one point, our daughter and her bio mom were walking one right in front of the other, and they actually bumped into each other. I took our daughter to the place she was supposed to volunteer, and as I walked back by the waiting area for the tours, I thought, I have to find her. I looked up and down every row, and I couldn't find her, so my heart began to sink, but I decided that now was not my time to see her face to face. I began walking toward the wire, which was where I was supposed to serve, and I noticed her in line waiting for her drink at the coffee shop. And I thought, God, you've got every detail of every moment of our life planned out. If only I would just quit worrying and let you truly take my life. Such a lesson I wish I would learn. I waited within earshot until the lady who was volunteering called her name, and she got her drink, and lo and behold, the name they called was the bio mom's name. God was using people that night, even the lady in the coffee shop who spoke her name. I felt like I needed to do something, so I called my husband, but he didn't answer. I called my other daughter and told her what was happening. I said, I just feel like I want to go pray for her. My daughter said, Mom, what's the difference? You, you pray for her every day. Why don't you just walk up and pray with her? I was physically shaking as I started to walk over to her and the two women who were with her. As I began walking toward them, I stopped another lady who was nearby and said, You don't know me, and I don't know you, but right now I'm going to go pray with my daughter's bio mom, and she doesn't know who I am, but I do know who she is, and I need you to pray for me. I walked up to these three ladies, including our daughter's bio mom, and I told them that God was leading me to pray with them, and I asked them if I could. I think they were all taken aback, but I asked if we could hold hands and pray, and they allowed me to pray with them. I honestly have no idea what I prayed, but I prayed. I thanked them for allowing me to do that, and I walked off. Later that night, after going through the tour, our daughter's bio mom accepted Jesus into her heart. I was able to stand outside the room and watch her as she made this decision. I was able to watch her pick her Bible. I was able to see a prayer request that I have brought to the Lord for 11 years be answered, all thanks to the open hearts of so many people at New Spring. We are his hands and feet. Without the countless hours of people pouring their hearts into this ministry, God would not have been able to make this happen on this night for our daughter's bio mom. So thank you so much for being his hands and feet. Folks, Satan isn't going to ignore this. He ain't going to ignore this. So let's do this as a church. Let's commit together that we're going to stand our ground. We aren't going to give up an inch of this place. We're not going to give an inch of the territory that God's going to give us these two weeks in October. He can't have it. None of it. We're going to keep our attitudes right before God. We're going to follow God the best that we know how. And we're going to trust him for what only he can do that we can't do, that we expect him to do because he said he's going to do it. And in the meantime, we're going to stand our post, occupy our territory, and say, God, come do what you can do. Let us be your hands and feet. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We'll see you this weekend.